0: And welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm gonna watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critics' choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, this is the last episode of the season for the Matt Watch That podcast. I hope everyone has a happy holiday and a healthy new year. I look forward to 2023 when the Matt Watch That podcast will be back on January 2nd with two, yes two, episodes. But fear not, if you need some help getting through the holidays, the Matt Forgot That podcast will be all new with an episode on Monday, December 26th. So from all of us here at the Matt Watch That podcast, you'll hear us in the new year. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, And five stars, must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie The Preacher's Wife from 1996. It was directed by Penny Marshall, who helmed Jumping Jack Flash, Big, Awakenings, and A League of Their Own, after transitioning from being an actor in Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. The screenplay was co-written by Nat Malden, who scribed episodes of Barney Miller and Night Court, and Alan Scott, who would go on to create The Queen's Gambit. It was based on an earlier screenplay by Robert E. Sherwood and Leonardo Bracovici, entitled The Bishop's Wife. It was based on the novel of the same name by Robert Nathan, who wrote Portrait of Jenny, *Stonecliff*, and The River Journey. The movie stars Whitney Houston as Julia Biggs, a native of Newark, New Jersey. She started modeling in her early 20s, appearing in Seventeen, Glamour, and Cosmopolitan. In 1984, she appeared in an episode of Gimme a Break and As the World Turns. She was offered the role of Sandra Huxtable on The Cosby Show, but wanted to focus on her singing career, which I'll get to in a little bit. Eight years later, she would make her big-screen debut in The Bodyguard, which would gross $121 million at the box office, and whose soundtrack sold 45 million copies thanks to her cover of I Will Always Love You, which would spend 14 weeks at the top of the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. She would go on to appear in Waiting to Exhale, Cinderella, Sparkle, and this movie. Courtney B. Vance portrays Reverend Henry Biggs, He graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree from Harvard University and earned a Master's from Yale School of Drama. His Broadway debut is in the play Fences, starring opposite James Earl Jones. Prior to The Preacher's Wife, he would appear in Hamburger Hill, The Hunt for Red October, The Adventures of Huck Finn, and Dangerous Minds. In 1997, he married Angela Bassett, whom he met while they were attending Yale. He's won two Primetime Emmys for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series for Lovecraft Country, and Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movie for American Crime Story. Denzel Washington plays Dudley. He was born and raised in Mount Vernon, New York. Had no idea he was a New Yorker. I like him even more now. He attended Pennington Grimes Elementary School before transitioning to Oakland Military Academy in New Windsor. He earned a Bachelor of Arts in Drama and Journalism from Fordham University. He appeared in the theater in Coriolanus, When the Chickens Came Home to Roost, and A Soldier's Play. His big break came in 1982 when he was cast as Dr. Philip Chandler in St. Elsewhere for 118 episodes from 1982 to 1988. He soon transitioned to the big screen with starring roles in Cry Freedom, The Mighty Quinn, Glory, Mo' Better Blues, and Mississippi Masala. He would win Academy Awards for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Glory, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for Training Day. He won a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play for Fences, and in 2022, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is something to look out for. The church scenes were filmed in Newark, New Jersey, at the Trinity United Methodist Church, which was renovated during filming to appear more like a Baptist church. The movie starts at St. Matt's Church, an inner-city congregation where Reverend Henry Biggs gives an impassioned sermon about temptation. His wife Julia sings in the choir and tries to jazz up the proceedings with background vocals. The attendance at the church has been dwindling and it's in financial peril. This has put a heavy burden on the family. Henry is tired and discouraged. Julia is supportive but doesn't know how to reach her husband. And their son Jeremiah asks for a little brother. Her mother, Marguerite Coleman, can sense something has been wrong for months now. She hears it in her daughter's voice, but any words of encouragement or pieces of advice falls on deaf ears. Meanwhile, Joe Hamilton of Real Estate Development Corporation is closing the youth center where at-risk teenagers attend to stay out of trouble. Henry prays to the Lord to send him help. After he closes up the youth center, on his walk home, he's approached by a man who introduces himself as Dudley, who informs the Reverend that he's there to answer his request for help. Henry is skeptical and drives off, leaving Dudley to figure out another approach. The next day, a liquor store is robbed by African-American youths, and, in a case of mistaken identity, another young man, Billy, is blamed and arrested. Henry goes to the police station and helps out the family. As he gets into the car, it refuses to turn over, and when Henry prays for help, Dudley knocks on the window. He reveals that he's an angel who is cut down in his prime, who's been waiting for an opportunity to come back to Earth, and he's going to do everything he can to help Henry out. Enter Joe Hamilton, who's trying to develop Sterling Acres, a 200-luxury apartment complex with 24-hour health club and state-of-the-art security, and he has his eyes set on the land which houses St. Matt's Church. Here's a quote without context. That man is so oily, you could fry chicken on his smile. The Preacher's Wife is not exactly a Christmas movie, but a spiritual one. It's about a couple rekindling their relationship, and once their house is in order, they become more effective in positively contributing to their community and neighborhood. It's a great vehicle to show off Whitney's talents as a singer, though if you didn't know that by now, I'm not sure what rock you've been living under. As an actress, she holds her own against some formidable company. I really enjoyed the scenes with Denzel Washington and Courtney B. Vance. They had good chemistry and played their parts as Charming Angel and Straight-Laced Reverend perfectly. Really bounced well off each other. Jennifer Lewis is the highlight of the movie for me. She's got some great one-liners, also the type of character who calls people out on their crap, which I admire. She's my favorite part of the series Blackish as well, so if you haven't seen it, it's an awesome show, but she is definitely tops. It was also nice seeing Gregory Hines on screen, a talent we lost way too young, and also Lionel Richie in a rare film role. There was one major faux pas in this movie. The character of Reverend Henry Biggs is somewhat unlikable when it comes to his relationship with his wife. Courtney B. Vance plays it really well when it comes to showing he's being stretched in many different directions but there's one scene where he actually puts his hand over Julia's mouth to stop her from talking so he could go to bed. And I'm not sure if that was improvised by Courtney B. Vance, because Whitney has a look on her face like, did he just put a hand on my mouth? But then you have a flirtatious relationship between Dudley and Julia, and their scenes are so pleasant and filled with joy that you start to think, maybe they should be getting together. And the storyline tries to write that ship, But I never got the sense that Henry and Julia ever got to that level of happiness. So the message of the movie is a little muddled. Now for a little trivial trivia. Whitney Houston, Gregory Hines, and Loretta Devine previously starred together the year prior in the movie Waiting to Exhale. The cinematography was captured by Miroslav Andrzejczyk, whose filmography includes Hair, Silkwood, FX, Awakenings, and A League of Their Own. He was nominated for two Best Cinematography Academy Awards for Ragtime and Amadeus. It was co-edited by George Bowers, who worked on Harlem Nights, Sleeping with the Enemy, Money Train, and How Stella Got Her Groove Back and Stephen A. Rotter, whose credits include Ishtar, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Parent Trap, What Women Want, and Yours, Mine, and Ours. The score was composed by Hans Zimmer, who wrote the music for Days of Thunder, Thelma and Louise, Backdraft, Cool Runnings, The Rock, Gladiator, Sherlock Holmes, Inception, The Dark Knight Trilogy, and won two Academy Awards for Best Achievement in Music, for Motion Pictures, for Dune, Part 1, and The Lion King. The soundtrack featured songs I Believe in You and Me, Step by Step, Joy, You Were Loved, and Joy to the World. The runtime is 2 hours 4 minutes. It had a budget of 40 million and grossed 57 million at the box office. It was nominated for Best Music, Original Musical, or Comedy Score at the 1997 Academy Awards. I give it 3.5 out of 5 stars. If you've seen The Preacher's Wife and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Damn. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt watch that Playback. I Want to Dance with Somebody is the musical biopic about the life and career of Whitney Houston, which is set to be released theatrically on December 23rd, 2022. The singing gene was in her family. Her mother was gospel singer Sissy Houston. She was first cousins with Dionne Warwick and Dee Dee Warwick. Her godmother was Darlene Love. She started singing in the junior gospel choir when she was 11 years old and would tour with her mother, occasionally performing together. A couple of years later, she would be singing background vocals on records for the Michael Zager Band, Jermaine Jackson, Lou Rawls, and Chaka Khan. In fact, she can be heard on I'm Every Woman, a song she would cover for the Bodyguard soundtrack. Whitney was signed by Clive Davis to Arista Records, and she made her television debut on the Merv Griffin Show, singing Home from the musical The Wiz. Two years later, her self-titled debut album was released and went to number one on the Billboard charts. Starting with Saving All My Love For You, she's the only artist to have seven consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, which includes How Will I Know, Greatest Love of All, I Want to Dance With Somebody, Parentheses, Who Loves Me, Didn't We Almost Have It All, So Emotional, and Where Do Broken Hearts Go? She sold over 200 million records, won six Grammy Awards, and was inducted posthumously into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in January 2020. I've selected five clips that feature the talents of Whitney Houston, the trailer for I Want to Dance with Somebody, and four of my favorite music videos from her. They're all available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about. The Santa Clauses, developed for television by Jack Burnett, who's written and produced episodes of Frasier, Just Shoot Me, 30 Rock, Modern Family, and Last Man Standing, based on the characters created by Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick from the Santa Claus movie trilogy. It stars Tim Allen, reprising his role of Scott Calvin, alongside Mrs. Claus, Elizabeth Mitchell, Charlie Calvin, Eric Lloyd, and Bernard the Elf, David Kumholtz. New additions include Cal Penn as Simon Choksi, an overworked tech innovator, toy maker, and single father, Austin Kane as middle son Buddy Calvin Claus, and Elizabeth Allen Dick, daughter of Tim Allen and, appropriately, the daughter of Scott and Carol Calvin Claus. This time around, Scott Calvin considers retiring when his magic starts to fail because people have stopped believing in Santa Claus. I've always been a fan of Tim Allen, Home Improvement is one of my favorite sitcoms, I just started watching Last Man Standing, and sorry I didn't get into it while it was on the air. It's definitely more timely and politically driven, especially starting in Season 2, but people really need to take the candy cane out of their butt and just learn to laugh at our differences. He's had a successful movie career with Galaxy Quest, the Toy Story franchise, and of course, the Santa Claus trilogy. He and Elizabeth Mitchell still have the magic, thanks to clever writing and nostalgia. The music is composed by Ariel Reckshide, producer of albums by Plain White Tease, Armor for Sleep, Snoop Dogg, and singles for Kylie Minogue, Madonna, Beyoncé, U2, and Adele. The soundtrack features a parody of Girls Just Want to Have Fun and a Christmassy version of Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, you heard that right. It's a perfect series for the holiday season, gets you in the spirit for putting up the tree, decorating the house, frosty weather, and listening to Christmas songs 24-7. There are callbacks to the movies, which adds to the experience, but won't take away any enjoyment if you don't remember or haven't seen them in a while. I thought the first episode was okay, really established the setting and the world, but it really gets going with episode two. As of right now, there are two episodes left to be released. I can't imagine that the spirit and quality will diminish in that time. I'm hopeful it will have a satisfying ending. The Santa Clauses has been on for one season, will have a total of six episodes, all released in 2022, and streaming on Disney+. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. An inner-city congregation where Henry Reverend Brent It was based on an earlier screenplay by Robert E. Sherwood and Leonardo Bervajon. I knew it. I should have looked that name. (laughs) She started modeling in the early 20s. (laughs) No, (laughs) in her early 20s. Boy, she would look great in 1996 if she started modeling in the early 20s.